how can decision making influence us? But Gina, you just reminded me. What's the date we're looking at? February eighth, a Saturday. Um, it will be a night out for anybody who wants to come. We haven't determined the place yet. She's thinking. Right. Like okay. So he's not, he's being vague. So um, being vague because I don't want to lock into anything that you're not in, in agreement yeah. with. February <laughs> <laughs> eighth is this mystery day. No, just another gathering for our class, kind of a Valentine's celebration. If anybody has kids, um, we will provide free babysitting at the Anderson house with our three daughters. Um, so you'll be responsible to drop them off at our house, but then we'll go someplace. We're gonna try to get a room at someplace. Um, not quite decided that yet, but um, we we thought you know February eighth might be not as crazy as the following weekend, obviously. So. Um, if you want to mark it on your calendars, then um, hopefully next week we'll have a, a place to tell you. Are we required to pick the kids back up? They can just sleep in our basement, right? All laying on the floor or whatever. <laughs> if you trust us that much, you can leave them with us. <laughs> so that's February 8th, and then this Wednesday I'm in Detroit. So we can st still, yeah, pray for protection. Exactly, you said that. The weather's good enough that he can come back the come next back, day. Right. So, um, but Wednesday night I won't be there. We are going through this um, discussion book, but it is sort of a group discussion. I don't necessarily need to lead it. You read the book. You have questions, and we we talk about it. So we'll keep that available. Um, I won't be there, but. Just discussion. We're moving into chapter one um, of that book. Again, it doesn't supplant your time with in the Word of God, but it is nice um, because it's a book that helps us to know God. Um, all right. And then Jenna, looking at Jenna, she reminded me she did some. I'm not a Facebook person, so it's very hard for me to get on Facebook. But she had, Gina learned me, she had attached something to one of the lectures. This is what was helpful, or this is what I learned. And I thought, I thought that was very, because every time my kids come from Sunday school, or whatever we call it now, I say, what did you learn today? And it forces them to pay attention and bring one thing home. What did you learn today? And if they don't learn something, I say, well, weren't you listening? Or do I have to go talk to Pastor Tony about your teacher? <laughs> so it might be my fault you're not learning something, but it's a good it's a good way to try to bring something from each time we meet, or even Sunday service. You know, hey, what is God speaking to my heart, and then sharing it on Facebook if you would like to. But I think that when she did that, wow, that's that's really good. So if you would like to do that again i'm not a facebook person maybe you're not a facebook person but maybe you can is it called tagging or something i don't know what you do to it just, it's just a comment just a comment okay i don't know i don't know all the words but a comment of what the holy spirit may have been teaching you or having you think further on all right so decision making we said everybody's facing decisions and sometimes we don't know god puts these choices in front of us or there's problems and I've got to, you know, do I take this job? Do I not take this job? Do I leave? Do I stay? You know, there are a lot of decisions face us continually without exact 
direction and guidance for that specific um, choice we're faced with in Scripture. So how do we go about decision-making? Do decisions really increase our trust in God? Because that's what we're talking about, increasing our trust. And beyond increasing our trust, we're talking about increasing our relationship with Christ. So Genesis 13. Remember, a little background. What's going on in Genesis 13? <clears throat> you guys remember? Mark read that for us. <laughs> he did read it for us. I love what he reads for us. But do you remember... Um, so this is just a review or a recap of Genesis 13. So Abraham gets the promise, you know, he leaves, he gets into the promised land, and then the famine comes, and he, he flees the difficulty into Egypt. He's in Egypt, you know, the problems with, he gives up Sarah, and Pharaoh's not happy, Pharaoh kicks him out, and he goes back to the promised land. Okay, so he goes back to the promised land, and he says, um, let's see, where is it? Uh, he says, Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. Lot went with him. Abraham was very wealthy. Um, and then from the Negev, he went back to the place until he came to Bethel. And then there he built an altar called upon the name of the Lord. And the next thing we know is that he's faced with this decision, right? Lot's wealthy, I'm wealthy, we have all this stuff. Everybody's arguing over space. What do I do? So what does Abraham do? What's that? Gives Lot the opportunity. And we talked about James 3, 17, you know, how to, how to sort of see if we're making wise choices. We don't know exactly what God told Abraham as he built the altar and called upon the name of the Lord. But the next thing we know is he lets Lot makes this decision. Lot decides to go where? Sodom Near Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were evil at that time. And then what does the Lord come back to Abraham and says what? Remember? So he's in the promised land. Right. He, gives him, he, he confirms his promise. And, the Lord, and then Abraham builds an altar. So we looked at this and said, okay, how can we see how facing decisions can increase our trust. So I'm moving along, reviewing rather quickly. Um, like Abraham, I think when we're forced to a decision, we said we have to seek the Lord's mind and will, right? So we seek Him. And what happens as we seek Him? We talked about seeking before, but as we seek His mind and will, what happens? So I have this decision, practically. What do I do? Do I take this job or not? Do I buy this car or not? Do I... What I think a lot of times um, our desires change when we seek Him. Right. So it starts when we seek Him, He's going to do something in our heart, but He's going to reveal Himself. Typically, when we go before God seeking Him, He's going to show us who He is. Right? And we're going to get to what Mark says. So we get in the Word, we get in prayer, right? We listen to His voice. We, we listen to His promises that He tells us in the Word. We see His character. Oftentimes, He doesn't tell us the specific outcome. Agree? True. Would you guys say that for most decisions? Mm -hmm. Should I do this or do that? They both seem pretty acceptable. And God doesn't usually come down and say, write it in the sky or in a notebook, you know, take that job. So there's usually some element of trust that he's going to, he, but he may impress upon us peace one way or not peace, 
no, don't do that, we have a ruffling in our spirit, or yes, that, I'm at peace, uh, may not always make sense. But he will reveal something about himself almost always, and he's going to ask us to trust him. Okay, so that's the number one as we go, we're going to increase our trust. He's going to reveal himself, right? As he reveals himself, we have to believe it, we have to trust in who he is. It's going to come through the word. He may reveal some specifics about the situation, but getting to what Mark is saying, he may remove some hindrances, right? So as we go to make a decision, it should force us to examine our motives, our will. He may change our desires. Maybe he's going to reveal, you know what? That's an idol in your life. That's not what you should be seeking after. Is it all about the money? Is it all about the power, the prestige? Yeah. I was just thinking, like, I was just talking about it's registration time, mm -hmm. and uh, students are, re it's rehashed why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so they look at what's called a DCP, a degree completion plan, that plans out what they still have to take in order to get this degree and they're, you know, a lot of them are saved Christians and they're thinking like, okay, how does this so into my calling or what is my calling? And so um, a lot of times they're just growing where they're not dependent on their parents anymore and God's using that time. And it's, he's using it, that time to glorify himself through what they're going through and what their parents are going through because the next step they go do a lot of them is not to go to God but to go to their parents mm -hmm. and then the parents a lot of them are like well you need to make money son or or, or whatnot and so uh, this is a, a time that we if we could be in prayer for all the students at all the schools but you know particularly here at Liberty mm -hmm. to be seeking God at this time um, and right. it's this so, topic is really hot right now. Like I right. advised many students this week right. and the the application of this is really important. And if right. you have kids that are thinking about going to college or in, in college now and you're like, what are they going to do? We're paying all this money. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Alright, exactly. So decisions, no matter what we decisions we face, and I'm not necessarily talking about what shirt should I wear today or what shoes. But as the importance of the decision escalates, more people are affected, there's more consequences. I mean, we are to seek God's will, his mind, his heart. What do you think about this? We know, I mean, reading David's life, should I go to war, should I not, should I attack him here, or should I go, you know, David was constantly seeking God, and God was speaking to him. We are to follow that pattern, to constantly seek God. Everywhere you look, Abraham's turning around, building an altar and calling upon the Lord. We are to seek him because he's going to reveal himself. He's going, to, he's going to show us. I can't tell you how many times I went to God for a decision. I need to know what school to go to. And he's saying, you know, wait a minute. There's this in your heart that we need to deal with first. And that decision forced me to deal with something that was a hindrance to my relationship with Christ. So decisions are really good, actually. I've come to embrace them. Because they're revealing who God is. They're removing anything in me that isn't right. And that's going to result in growth in my intimate relationship with Christ. I think the removing of hindrances is such a, an important part of this. Because usually after God has 
if we seek God about something, it might be as simple as, you know, buying a car, but what he does is he shows us what our true motives are, and he just removes the things when we're truly submitting it to him that shouldn't be there. And then because of that removal, it's like the light shines, and like the decision's made clearer because you know you're making it in confidence of that pure heart. Right. So that, I mean, that's a huge part of it. It's just right. going before God, not so he can give you some big answer in the sky, but just to get rid of the things in within that are right. He, right, he'll show us anything that's taking the place of him, any tolerated sin or disobedience in our life. He will reveal that. As that is revealed, our eyes become open to make the decision in confidence and faith. So that's, that's what we talked about. Um, even when we make the wrong decision, we don't have to fear. God's bigger than our decision-making. If we're surrendered to Him, God, I just want to do Your will, um, He will make it happen. And we talked about some examples of that last time. I'm trying to get through the review here. Um, so just remember that it, this is going to grow, and all decision-making is going to point to the big picture. The big picture is not the specific decision. The big picture is, I want your heart I want your relationship. I'll take care of the rest. Okay, so we approach decisions with confidence, not with fear. God's bigger than my lack of ability to hear Him or know my own blind spots. He will break through and work through that. So we said decision-making should first flow out of an intimate relationship with Christ. So it's from the relationship we make decisions. And that's sort of where we ended. What did we say? We talk about this intimate relationship with God. What is it? Do do any of you feel like you have an intimate relationship with God? What does that mean to you? I was reading that book that you gave us, Mm -hmm. and it talks a lot about that in the first chapter, and it Mm -hmm. just basically says that you give all of yourself over to him and then you do his will and perfect yeah exactly all of yourself you're his right i put down here you're willing to unwrap yourself right my entire being before you god my heart my soul my spirit my mind my possessions everything that i am and that i have i hold nothing back from you it's all yours I'm entirely his. That's the beginning of this intimate relationship. And that led us to what we're going to talk about now is how the will of God, knowing the will of God, is intimately, I use that word again, tied or connected with our relationship with him. So everybody open up to Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2. So decision-making and our intimacy with God are totally connected. We want to walk through life in the center of God's will, confidently knowing I'm in God's will. This needs to take place, what we're going to talk about. And I know you guys know this, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Does anybody have that? Great, go ahead. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world and be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay. So we've all heard that before, but let's go look at this almost word by word. 
this is critical for our walk with Christ. If we're going to be the people God wants us to be, have the relationship He wants, make the right decisions in life, knowing what's better than good, what's His best, um, this needs to take place. Again, this is said other ways by Christ in, in the Gospels, but let's look into this. So the first question I had, um, what does it mean to be a sacrifice? A, a, a living sacrifice. What, is this, what does it mean for us to be a sacrifice? To, to me, one of the things I think of when is uh, just convenience and schedule. You know, we're all, all scheduled out and got to be here, got to be there and all the rest. And do I have time in my schedule for doing something for somebody else? To, so you, to not think about myself, but think about someone else and to mm -hmm. try to help that person. So you're giving up your time, right? Yeah, your time. time. Precious. Can't right. get back. So you're sacrificing time. What is it? What else? If I'm going to be a sacrifice, well, a sacrifice involved the killing, the shedding of blood, the killing of an animal. That's what he was referring to. So it's it involves death, death to our self. So not only our time <coughs> or our possessions, our desires, our will, our wants, our wants, my our wife. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> Notice the wives aren't saying husbands. <laughs> they already know. They already know that. Like, they don't have to worry about that part. <clears throat> Accepted that. That's no sacrifice. You can have them. <laughs> <laughs> we, the men, think we're so precious. You know. <laughs> okay. Well, right. A sacrifice is something that's where we value. Um, absolutely, and if you don't value your, your husband's right, that's not really a sacrifice, just throw them out. <laughs> but uh, I put down here, it's surrendered completely for his use, and it, it, time is part of it, and actions are part of it, and behaviors, but it, it goes beyond an action or a habit or something, it goes right to the heart. Isn't it like... If you sacrifice everything in your life, mm -hmm. you're actually sacrificing yourself to Him. Right. Everything With your heart, your going. motives, your desires, your wants, everything. Sacrifice. Right. I said, it's when we say, so it's, I'm completely surrendered for Him to do with me what He wants. Mm -hmm. I no longer have a right of my own. I've transferred all my rights. So I said, I'm all yours. I transfer all of my rights to my life to you. I no longer am in, in control of my life. I transfer it all to you. So whatever you desire for my life is what I desire. My will is broken. When we talk about brokenness, it's the brokenness of the will that God loves. I'm right, that's what he wants. He loves a broken and contrite heart, broken will, that my will no longer exists, and it sounds it goes contrary to our flesh. So it's contrary to the word. How could I give up my will? We give it up to him. It's a sacrifice. I'm giving it up to him. But then your will becomes his. Right. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Right. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. The more I delight in the Lord, the more he's my desire. And he gives me him, which is what we all want. 
Um, and I agree, because when you say this, like death to self and sacrifice, it sounds awful, and the world would think you were absolutely bizarre and crazy, and Satan's going to try to say, that's foolish, that's stupid, you're going to be miserable, but the truth is, as Peggy just pointed out, it's so it's freedom and joy and peace and wonderful. Right. There's That's nothing the in the world can provide. It promises it, but it can't provide it. Even if you like lose a loved one and you've truly sacrificed themselves, or them to God. Mm-hmm. That's how we can have peace through losing loved ones. Even is right. You've given them over to God. Right. They're His. Right. They're His. Um, my love and devotion are for you, not for me or this world. That's a sacrifice. My love and devotion are for you, not for my ease, comfort, and pleasure, not for the things of this world. Now, is this, is this in line with what Jesus told us to do? We, we, we briefly went into this. Matthew 10, 37-39. Anybody have that? Matthew 10. So again, we're moving towards a deeper, more intimate walk with Christ. <coughs> what does Jesus tell us to do? So Paul's saying, hey, you need to be a living sacrifice. Sacrifice. What does Matthew 10, 37-39 say? Does anybody have that? We read it briefly. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Right. So not that we don't love. I, I would argue that the more I love Jesus, the more I'm going to be able to love my father and mother. He's my first love. It's out of my love relationship with Jesus that I can love others. So yeah, the world said, what? You don't want me to love my father and mother? Oh yeah, I do. But you love me first and you'll be able to love that person next to you way better when you love me first. Because he puts the love inside you. Right. And gives others. Exactly. It's the Holy Spirit loving through us. That's that's exactly right, and we, you know, if you're for trying to hold on to our own life, we're going to lose it. He's saying, give up your life, give up your life. Matthew sixteen twenty four is another uh, way to say this. Then Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, you know what? If you want to follow me, if you want to be mine, these are Jesus' instructions. The world doesn't like it. Christians may not like it. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's what the sacrifice is. Denying my rights to my happiness, what I think is going to make me happy, taking up my cross, giving up what I want to do, death to self, and following me. Um, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Again, this is the sacrifice that takes place, and God's going to give us the life we desire. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world? We spend so much time clamoring for the things of the world. He says, what good will it be if he gain the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Okay, so this puts everything in perspective. And it's out of this kind of relationship that we can make decisions confidently. If I'm sacrificed, if I'm surrendered, if I'm to him, I know that I can confidently make a decision. And he may not tell me exactly, oh, go here or do that, but I can step out in faith saying, God, I'm surrendered to you. I'm going to do what you want me to do for your glory. I'm yours. 
Sometimes he's going to say wait, and that's hard, but he is speaking to us, and we have to wait. But other times, there's just this peace to make the decision. Um, so I, this is interesting. You know, he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. So renewal would suggest that their minds were someplace other than where they needed to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, everybody's, I mean, minds are, no one can read another person's minds. Yeah. Right. So it's it's uh, absolutely all kinds of things, you know, that are not productive, not fruitful, and it's, it's you know God has to work ultimately at the level of even my thoughts, even what I what my focus is, my intention is. So it's what it's you know people run around and show one thing, but may be thinking another. But Jesus calls us, you know, the whole thing about um, uh, what he's saying here, as I see it, is that it's about being um, the new wineskin, mm-hmm. being teachable. Mm-hmm. And so that requires a certain amount. And so I get back to my wife. You know, so Paul says, you know, Paul says, if you're married, you know, you will always struggle with pleasing your wife versus pleasing the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And my wife doesn't want me to try to please her. That's mm-hmm. kind of yucky, you know what I mean? But instinctively I go there mm-hmm. for whatever, you know. So it's it's a it's a battle every day when I wake up. You know what I mean? It's it's uh who am I who am I after today, who am I trying to please today? Right, anyway. and we'll, we're going to get to that too. Um, this is further. This is in Luke 14, and he says it's starting with 25. I won't read all of it, but down in 33 he says, "In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple." I mean, these are pretty strict demands that he's putting on us, right? If you don't give up everything. That's the living sacrifice. So what Paul is saying is in definite conformity to what Christ is saying. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do for us? Gave up everything. Gave up everything. Why? Why did he do that? Because he loved us. And he wanted a relationship with us. Now the table is turned. What are you going to do? Because you want a relationship with Jesus. What are you going to do? We're going to give up everything. We're going to die to self, just like Jesus did to enter the relationship. We do that. We enter the relationship deeply. Beyond the surface, I've accepted Jesus. He's my Savior. He's forgiven my sins. He's calling us to follow him, to be his disciple. And some people that I listen to feel that many, many people are not saved if they're not in this position. If they're not surrendered, committed to following Jesus. Um, But um, we know we're called to follow him. This is a decision we've got to make, right? These decisions, how they can increase our trust and our faith, that's the one. Follow me. But we're called to give up everything just as he did so we enter into this relationship. That's why he laid down his life. That's why we lay down our life. It's this relationship. Why is Here's a little perspective. You know, Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship. Mm-hmm. The question is, how did the Lutheran church get on board with the, with the Nazis? And he says it's this idea of cheap grace. It's, idea, it's this idea of, you know, in view of God's mercy, we're not going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to... We're going to just, you know, the, the grace of God, I'm saved, and mm-hmm. everything's good, you know what I mean? And So he's going to judge me based on what I think and all right. this kind of stuff, not on the basis of 
how am I showing? You know, not yeah. not oh, that yeah. we're showing God, but it, we do have to show God. Right. You know what I mean? Paul, yeah. uh, right. he had to go up the mountain with his son. He had to show him. You know. Right. Exactly. Why is it to be a living? We read it's a living, right? It's a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Why is this a living sacrifice? But we live it every day. It's continual, right? I wish it could be a one-time, God, I'm all yours, take me, use me, here I am. But it's an ongoing, daily, death to self, taking up your cross, following him. This is not a one-time decision, and you'll find as you go through life, oops, there I am, pulling back, going back to the old ways, doing it out of my strength, my ability, making the decisions, what I think is right, and neglecting to seek God. Why does, what does Paul mean when he says to offer our bodies, our bodies as living sacrifices? What's our body? What is he talking about? Flesh. Flesh. What is included in that? Desires. Right, it's the whole thing, right? It's the whole package. It's the whole human. It's the desires, the heart, the, the mind. What's that? Heart, mind, and body. That's the whole thing. What are you saying? We're renewed in him. We're not carrying that dead soul anymore. That's right. Dead to self. Like we're now renewed in him. Mm-hmm. Jesus we are. strengthened us and now renewed. We don't have to carry that dead person around anymore. Nope. That we do not put on those clothes anymore. That's, That's right. not who we are. Absolutely. So he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And you guys got it. Everything about us. It's more than the outward material. Just my flesh, I'm laying it up there, or this is a habit. As I grew up Lutheran, Gina grew up Catholic, and there was always something we did during Lent. You know, you would give up chocolate or Coke or, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's something. And, and if that can draw you closer to the Lord, I mean, that's good, but is that truly what the Lord, is that what he's talking about? No. I'm going to give up this habit or, no. What is he talking about? How about, because um, I, I remember when I was coming out of, professional basketball is saying, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do I had a whole list. And at the end of it, it was like this impression, I don't want any of that. I don't need any of that. I want your heart. And it really changed the way I walked with God, not what I could do for him, not tell a hundred people about him. Not that that's not wrong. But if my heart's not in the right place, I'm missing something. So open up to Hosea 6.6. 6. Yeah, if you make a list that almost can seem like sometimes, all right, this is what you get, the rest is mine. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was telling me, Mark. He said, I want your heart, wow. not your things. How about Hosea 6.6 6 and then Joel 2.13? I think I have trouble with, I, that's encouraging what you went through, Justin, because I tend to get hung up on, I have to do something for God. All right. But... That is really beautiful and encouraging um, that he wants my heart. That's right. And right. it is hard because I love being, you know, I love raising my kids and it's going to come to an end in a sentence. Of course, there'll be adult mm-hmm. children. But it's just so meaningful. But you do get into the works of it. You yeah. Because you're oh, working. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I have to get out of that mindset. Um, there's different translations for Hosea 6.6, 6, but what does anybody have? The ESV? I have the ESV. Yeah, read that. I think Hosea 6.6? Yeah. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 
So what is he saying? He said, I want your steadfast love. I want your heart. That's what I want from you. Not your service in a sense. He's going to say what our spiritual act of worship or service is, is, is to surrender. That's what he wants from us. Uh, does, he desires the steadfast love, not some outward sacrifice and the knowledge of God. He wants this relationship, not something you put up on the offering and go away and do whatever you want to do. He wants a relationship. He wants this loving, intimate relationship. The verse that came to me when I was going through this was Joel 2.13. So the next book over, Joel 2.13, he says, Rend me or give me your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and relents from sending calamity. But rend me, give me your heart, not your garments. All right, Joel 13. And we know other places when he tells you know, Saul, hey, it's not sacrifice I want, it's obedience. And so the sacrifice that he does want from us is our life, our being, our bodies, everything that we are. So that's what he's meaning. This is very difficult, would you not agree? How can I walk through life every day this way when, you know, I need to make decisions and I got this knowledge or this ability and or I have this fleshly desire I want that or this or I just want safety and security for my family you know shouldn't this be why I do this and that how how what can keep me in this position of continual sacrifice continual living sacrifice he says it what does he say right away in, in, in the verse 12.1? What is he saying? In view of God's mercy. Right. In view of God's mercy. How can that... How can that... He says just before that, he says, For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And then he goes through this doxology of how great God is, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to do this. How can that help me do this continually? Why? Why does in view of his goodness, his mercy? Rick? He showed us what perfect love is. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. Mm -hmm. life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me right. and gave himself up for me. Right. Good. What else? It's so, an impossible task, and he knows we're going to fail. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we've got to go back to him mm -hmm. constantly over and over. He's merciful. Right. He forgave us. Right, so it all becomes, of these. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I just, it becomes much easier the more we focus on who he is. Because mm -hmm. if we know that the person we are surrendering to is going to do the very best for us, loves us more than anything, is completely wise, completely in control, you'd be like, why wouldn't I surrender to right. that? So mm -hmm. if we can focus on who he is rather mm -hmm. than our desires, it does become easier but it's just a matter of putting our focus where it belongs right and I'll add one other component you guys were, were saying also 
knowing who God is and knowing what he's rescued me from. If you go to Ephesians 2, you know, Ephesians 2, we went through Ephesians when we did, you know, the book of Ephesians study. Um, As for you, you were dead. This is me. I was dead in my sins, my transgressions. I used to live in these ways when I followed the ways of this world. And I followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them. At one time, what did I do? I gratified the cravings of my sinful nature. I followed its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, I was, by nature, an object of wrath. I was an enemy of God. And there's no way I could get to be his friend. I was under his wrath, and there was no way I could get under it. I was under the power of Satan and sin in my flesh, and there's no way I could escape from that prison. Nothing. But out of God's mercy, he reaches in and rescues me. And all of his goodness that we're talking about, if we remember that, those truths, what God has done for us and who he is, it's a lot easier to sacrifice my life to him. So it's in view of those mercies And that can continually prompt us to say, yeah, I want it your way, not mine. And you lay down your life for his. All right. Um, So I said the greater we understand who he is and our salvation experience, the easier this will be. All right. So we have to continually remind ourselves, right? Who is God? What has he done for me? Yeah, that's a God I can lay down my life for. It's sort of like men, when we love our wives the way God wants us to, they're going to be ready and willing to submit. You know, there's this, we see that in relationships also. Um, Okay, he says holy, right? And he says uh, in Romans 12, we're sort of going here word by word. Um, In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So I can't make myself holy. We're holy because he made us. But there is a responsibility, right, to examine my life. God, show me anything in me that is not right. Let's deal with it. And we may fail, we may stumble, you know, time and time again. But if our heart is in the right spot, and we're aiming to do what God wants us to do, relying on him, it will be. But what what isn't holy, I guess, is easier to see is when we're holding on to sin. I know this isn't right. I know that not forgiving or not loving isn't right, but I'm just going to hold it on. Because they did that to me, and it's my right not to forgive them. It's going to be hard to be the sacrifice he wants you to be. Versus saying, God, I, I just can't forgive, but I want to help me. I'm trusting you'll help me forgive, and I'm choosing to forgive. And going to the altar that way. There's a difference. One is holy... One is rebellious, idolatrous, holding on to my way. That's not the sacrifice that he wants. Um, It's to be a holy, and this is pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your spiritual service. What does he mean by that? Why is this considered a spiritual act of worship or service? Well, he also said, somewhere else he says, you know, my life is being poured out on the altar of mm-hmm. your service, I think it was, mm-hmm. in Philippians, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there is a sense in which I mean, he viewed his life as, a, as an offering to God. All right. That's what it is. We view our life 
if we can get that mindset, Crawford, that I'm viewing my life as a spiritual act of worship, service to God, my whole life, my whole being. That doesn't mean we're perfect, doesn't mean we make mistakes, doesn't mean we wind off down the road, down the wrong road, but he's going to continually bring us back because our hearts are wanting to come back to what is right. It acknowledges, I said, it acknowledges him as Lord. He has the right to choose to do what he wants with me. Right? It may not always be easy. It may not always be, you know, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world from the flesh standpoint, but from our spirit, our soul, what he's after, it is always the best. It also changes our perspective on just the daily mundane, our daily life, because it's not just our church service that we present as acts of service. It's cooking dinner and going to the grocery store. Our whole being is a... Right spiritual act of worship and if we view it that way yeah. giving up your life for him yeah I don't really feel like doing this but I'm going to do it because I love Jesus that's worship that's true worship and he says what kind of worshipers is he seeking remember what he says spirit and truth right and if we approach worship like this that's the worship in spirit and truth. It's not for my flesh. It's not so I have a rah rah. Yes, I feel great. That may happen, but it's coming out because I've submitted and I've surrendered my life to you, Jesus, and I'm coming to give you everything. You know, not just my voice, not just my habit. I'm giving you my whole heart. That's what He wants from us. So, how do we make this? a continual reality on the day-to-day basis. How do I go from making the decisions I've always made? You know, hey, I just make the decision. You know, I just look, look at what's the wise choice and I make it and I move on. How do I transform? How do I change into this kind of lifestyle? Not conforming to the world, as Crawford was saying. Renewing our mind. Right. Exactly. So um, we make this a reality by getting in the Word every day. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. We cannot think like the world. We can't act like the world. We're different from the world. Right? So our thought patterns have to change. Well, this just makes sense. Yeah, I make more money over there. I'm going to go to that job. You know, that's the way the world thinks. Or, oh, I'm going to have more power or prestige over there. That's why I'm taking it. Makes sense. That's the way Lot made the decision. You know, hey, that's the best land up there. Nice and flat, whatever. Everything's well watered. I'm going there. That's out of the flesh, out of human reason. Not that God doesn't work through that, but it's where our heart is. It's where our heart is when we're making the decision. And that only happens, as Alice is saying, on a daily, we get in the Word every day, surrendered. God, teach me who you are. Show me who you are. As we do that, He transforms our thinking. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. Holy Spirit will transform our thing. It's just like I remember the music I used to listen to. And as I got closer and closer to the Lord, it's like, hmm, probably shouldn't. I mean, my whole desire, I didn't really like it. I didn't need it. But my eyes were opened up like, wow, I was filling my mind with all that stuff. I really don't want to do that. You know, so as I got in the word, I, he transformed me. He will transform us as we get in the word, surrender daily to him. 
He puts us in a new mold, his mold, and it's done by the process of our mind. Okay, and when our mind is right, our bodies will follow. Right? When my mind is right, I'm getting up on that altar for God. I'm yours. If my mind is off into the world and the things of the world and I'm not getting in, it's so hard to slip off that altar and back down the world's ways. So in the Word of God, letting Him transform us. Um, then, this is back to the decision-making. We have to end here. But this is how it goes. This is how it comes full circle. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See how it's come full circle now? I don't know what to do. What's this decision I should make? God's saying, give me your heart. Give me your life. Get in the word of God. I'll transform the way you think. And it's from that you will make your decisions. You will know what is good, pleasing, and perfect. You will be able to step out in confidence that you know you're in the center of his will. And even if you don't quite know and you step out the wrong way, he's going to bring you back and he'll work it all out for the good. So um, it really allows us, I said, um, to see the best in every situation. But the decisions that we make in life should flow out of this intimate relationship with Christ. Then we can have confidence. So if you're facing a decision... Look what's going to be happening. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to remove Our intimacy grows. And then we can go from there knowing that the big purpose is achieved. What's the big purpose? Intimacy, intimacy, right? It's not necessarily answer to the question. It's the intimacy. It's the walk with him. Um, All right. I'll close this in prayer. We forgot to send out the... I forgot to send this around. So I'll just, on the website, I'll just put prayer request and if you could comment below it. I apologize guys. It's been in my lap the whole time. Um, all right. So. It's Rick's fault. He always reminds me I'm going to place the blame on him. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that in your grace and your mercy you continually draw us to your altar. Let us see that that is where life is truly at by giving up our life to you that you will give us that abundant life that we will be followers of you we will be your disciples we will be satisfied in you Lord give us that grace and that mercy and remind us of what you've done for us over and over and may that compel us to that altar daily in your name we pray Amen Amen Thank <laughs> you.